Chapter 10 of Hindu Tales or The Adventures of Ten Princes by Danton Translated by P. W. Jacob This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Siddharth Chapter 10 Adventures of Mitragupta My lord, I set out on my travels in search of you, like the rest. In arriving one day at Damalipta, I saw a great crowd collected in a large park outside the city, while looking about me to find someone of whom I might inquire what this festival was, I espied a young man sitting alone in an arbor, amusing himself with playing on a lute. Going up to him, I asked, What is this concourse of people? Why do you sit here alone, away from the others? He answered, A long time ago the king of this country, having no children, made many prayers and offerings to the goddess Durga, in the hope of propitiating her, at last she appeared to him in a dream and said, Your prayer is granted. Your wife shall bear twins, a daughter who must be your successor, and a son who must be subject to her and to her husband when she marries. Further, it is my will and pleasure that, beginning from her seventh year, you shall make every month, when the moon is in the constellation Kritika, or the Pleiades, a great festival to be called the Festival of the Ball Bands at which she shall publicly exhibit her skill before the people. I also will that in reference to a husband, she shall have free choice without any pressure on your part, and that he whom she marries shall have equal power with her, and deem after your death. The promise given in the dream was fulfilled. The queen bore twins, a son and a daughter. The king has duly obeyed the commands of the goddess, and today the princess whose name is Kandukavati, will again perform the ball dance for the propitiation of Durga in the sight of the people here assembled. You asked me also why I am sitting here alone. I will tell you. The princess Kandukavati has a dear friend and foster sister who is engaged to me. Of late, Bhimathanva, the brother of the princess, has cast his eyes on her and persecuted her with his importunities. Knowing his character, I have great fear, lest some day he should use violence towards her. This is why I am so anxious and uneasy, and have no inclination to join the festivities. Just then I heard the tinkling of anklets, and a young lady came to the place where we were sitting. On seeing her, my companion started up with great delight, and taking her by hand, introduced her to me, saying, This is the lady whom I have told you of dearer to me than life, the thought of separation from whom, through the wickedness of that wretch, burns me like fire and causes me to suffer misery greater than death. I have no loyalty or respect towards him, and will lose my life rather than suffer him to accomplish his wicked purpose. But she, with tears in her eyes, said, O oh, my beloved, do not on my account engage in any act of violence, whatever might be the result your own life would certainly be forfeited. You have continually professed your great love for me. Be guided now by my advice. I am ready to follow you wherever you go. Let us then fly from this country and go where we shall be safe from my persecutor. My new acquaintance then turned to me and said, You seem to have been a great traveler. Tell us in what country we may be most in safety and best able to live. I smiled at this and answered, The world is wide, 
and there are plenty of countries pleasant to live in. But after all, one's own country is the best. Why should you banish yourselves? I think I can contrive some means by which you will be enabled to remain here in safety and comfort. Wait then a while, and if I cannot do this, I will tell you where it will be best for you to go. Before we had time to say more, the young girl started up saying, I dare not stay a moment longer. I have stopped away from my mistress to see you, and now I hear her coming, and must join her directly. Anyone may see the princess at this festival. I hope you will have a good view of her. Saying this to me, she ran off, and we both followed her to the place where the princess was to perform an open stage which had been erected in the park. Presently, she made her appearance, followed by a train of female attendants, and the moment I saw, and the moment I saw her, my heart was drawn towards her. I almost doubted whether she were a goddess or a mortal. But when she began to play, I was even more captivated by her graceful movements than I had been by her beauty. First, she made a low obeisance in honor of the goddess, then taking up the bright red ball with her slender fingers, she let it drop as if accidentally, and striking it as it rebounded, caught it on the back of her hand and set it high into the air. Then she made it rise and fall, at first slowly, then faster, and then very rapidly, keeping time to it by graceful movements of the feet. Sometimes it seemed to stand still, sometimes to fly up like a bird. At one time she would strike it alternately with her right hand and left hand, at another send it high into the air, dancing meanwhile on to her own singing. Then the ball would go quite away and come back as if of itself. Thus she went on a long time amidst the applause, the applause of the surrounding spectators performing various graceful movements, striking the ball with feet as well as hands, and even making it whirl round and round her so rapidly that she seemed to be enclosed in a fairy red cage, now with one hand holding up her dress or replacing her hair which had fallen down and keeping the ball in motion with the other, now taking several balls and keeping them all in the air at once. At last the performance was ended, and after again making a low voice in order of the goddess, she walked slowly around the stage, leaning on the arm of her foster sister Chandrasena, and followed by her maidens, casting several significant glances at me, and especially giving me one long lingering look as she withdrew. My friend Gosadasa, who had stood near me all the time, invited me to his house where I was most hospitably entertained. In the evening, Chandrasena, the lady to whom he had introduced me, came to see me. I said to her, I promised to find some means of freeing you from the importunities of the prince. This is what I have thought of. I have a magic ointment a small quantity of which applied to your face will make you look like a monkey in the eyes of all who see you. Your persecutor will certainly be disgusted and give you no more annoyance. Truly, I am exceedingly obliged to you, she answered, for such a charming proposal. But whatever I may be in a future birth, I have no inclination to be turned into a monkey now. If you have nothing better than this to propose, we shall not esteem your wisdom very highly. 
Happily, I have thought of something much better. You have heard that, according to the word of Durga, the princess is to be allowed free choice of a husband. You are greatly in love with her, and she is favorably disposed towards you. From your appearance, my mother, of whom she is very fond, will do everything in her power to promote your interests, and no doubt she will choose you. The king and queen will, of course, give their consent, and the marriage, once completed, there will be no further danger since Bhimathanva will be subject to you and you will be able to easily protect me wait therefore a few days and I and my mother will do our best on your behalf but I must not stay longer my mistress will be waiting for me after she was gone Gosadasa and I got into conversation about that which so greatly concerned us both and so much interested were we that we never thought of going to bed but sat up talking all night. In the morning I went to the park and stood for some time near the stage on which I had seen the princess and in imagination saw her there again in some of those graceful attitudes which she had displayed. While I was thus deep in thought, I was accosted by Bhima Tanwa, who introduced himself to me, appeared very friendly, sat down with me, and after some conversation invited me to his house. Having no suspicion of treachery, I accompanied him to the palace, where I was most hospitably entertained. After dinner, not having slept the night before, I lay down and was soon fast asleep, and dreaming of my beloved princess. Presently, I was suddenly awakened and found my arms bound with an iron chain, and Bhimadhanva, with angry countenance, standing near me. While wretch, he said, you fancied you could plot in safety and still thought, and all which that girl said was overheard, and brought to be by one of my spies who heard it through the open window. My silly sister, forsooth, is in love with you. You are to marry her and make me your subject, and you will order me to give up Chandrasena, that she may marry her lover. You are much mistaken. I am not so easily managed as that. We shall soon see how your fine projects will end. Then calling two strong men, his servants, at his command, they lifted me up, carried me down to the sea, and threw me in as I was. Notwithstanding the chain, which confined my arms, I managed to keep afloat, till by a lucky chance I fell with a piece of wood, and by throwing myself across it, managed to hold on, and was carried out to the sea. After floating all night, in the morning I was seen from a ship, sailing that way, and taken on board. The captain, however, who was a foreigner, had not much compassion on me, and only thought, as I was young and strong, how much he could get by selling me as a slave. It did not even release my hands. I had not been long on board, however, when the ship was attacked by pirates, who surrounded it with their boats and poured in a shower of arrows and other missiles. Seeing that the crew of the merchant ship were being defeated, I called out to the captain, take off my chain, set me free, and I will soon drive them away. He did as I asked, and furnished me with a good bow and arrows, which I used so effectually that a large number of the enemy were killed or wounded, and the boats began to draw off. Meanwhile, our ship had drifted close to the pirate's gallery. I left on board, and most of the crew, being disabled, took prisoner, 
the captain who turned out to be Rimathanva, the very man who had so treacherously ill-used me. He was utterly astonished at seeing me, and hung down his head, ashamed, unable to answer a word, when I said to him, Where are all your threats and boastings? You are now as completely in my power as I was in yours. Then the sailors, shouting for joy at the victory, bound him with the chain with which I had been confined, and after taking possession of the pirate ship, we continued the voyage, but being driven out of our course by a contrary wind, landed on an uninhabited island to get water and wild fruits and attend to the wounded. The merchant captain and crew delighted at my bravery and the timely assistance I had rendered them treated me with the greatest respect. While they were engaged, I walked about to explore the island and came to a large quantity of stones which had fallen from a high rock. These I crossed over and going round to the other side found a gentle slope covered with trees and flowers. Walking slowly among admiring the beautiful scenery and enjoying the cool shade, I arrived almost imperceptibly and without fatigue at the summit where I found a small lake surrounded by a ruby-colored variated rocks and partly covered with bright lotuses. In this I passed and pulled up some of the lotus plants, the young shoots of which were unusually sweet and good. As I came out of the water, carrying a large root on my shoulder, I saw standing on the bank a terrible Rakshas in human form, who called out in angry tone, Who are you? Where do you come from? What are you doing here, destroying my flowers? Without showing any sign of fear, I walked boldly up to him and said, I am a Brahmin who has just escaped many dangers. I was treacherously thrown into the sea, rescued by a merchant ship, then attacked by pirates, and now, after conquering them, we have put into this island for water. I have much enjoyed my bath, and wish you good morning. Stop, said he. You will not get off so easily. You seem a bold fellow, however, and I will give you a chance for life. I shall ask you four questions. If you can answer them, you are free. If not, I shall devour you immediately. Very good, I answered. I am ready to hear them. Then he began. What is cruel? A wicked woman's heart. What is most to the advantage of a householder? Good qualities in a wife. What is love? Imagination. What best accomplishes difficult things? Cunning. Thumini, Khumini, Ratnavati, and Nitambavati. I added, are examples of what I have said. Tell me, said he, who they were, and how they prove the truth of your answers. Certainly, I replied, you shall judge for yourself. They were formerly in the country of Trigatta, three brothers, all wealthy, having several wives, many servants and slaves, and numerous flocks and herds. In their time it happened that there was a great drought. No rain fell for several years. The streams and fountains ceased to flow. The pools and lakes were turned to mud. The beds of rivers almost dry. Plants burned up. Trees withered. All mirth and festivity were at an end. Bands of themes roamed about, the dead lay unburied or unburnt, and their bodies were scattered over the fields. 
At last the famine was so great that men began to devour each other. The three brothers, from their great wealth, were able to hold out a long time, but when their stores of corn and rice were all consumed, and their cattle all slaughtered, they, like the rest, were driven to cannibalism. First they killed and ate their slaves, then even their wives and children, till all were gone but themselves and their three favorite wives. The famine still continuing, they were driven to eat them also, and drew lots which should be killed first. The lot fell on Thumini, the wife of the youngest brother, who, unable to hear the thought of devouring her, escaped with her in the night. After walking a long way, till they were quite exhausted, they came to a large forest, where they found a well of water and many fruits and roots besides deer and other animals, on which they were able to live without difficulty, and they built a hut there. One day, when the husband of Thumini was going about in search of game, he found a man who had been cruelly treated by robbers. They had cut off his hands, feet, and nose, left him to perish. Having compassion on the poor wretch, he bound up his wounds as well as he was able and carried him with much difficulty to his hut. There he and his wife nursed him until his wounds were healed and took care of him afterwards. Now such is the depravity of women that too many fell in love with this poor mutilated wretch and determined to have him whether he would or no. One day her husband came home from hunting tired and thirsty as her for water, she answered, I have a very bad headache, you must go and draw for yourself. Then walking softly behind him, as he went, she waited till he stopped down over the well and pushed him in. Having thus, as she thought, got rid of her husband, she took the maimed man on her back, carried him till she reached an inhabited country where there was no famine, telling those who asked her that this man was her husband and he had been mutilated in that manner by a spiteful enemy. She thus became the object of much compassion and praise for devotion to her husband, and the king of the country bestowed on her a small pension, on which she lived in the city of Avanti. Meanwhile, her real husband had managed to climb up from the well and wandered about a long time, not knowing where his wife was gone. At last, he came to Avanti in great distress and was begging for food when she chanced to see him. Going at once to the king, she said, That wicked wretch who had mutilated my husband is now here. I have seen him going about as a beggar. Upon this he was immediately seized, and notwithstanding his protestations of innocence, condemned to death and led away to execution. On the way, with but faint hopes of saving his life, he said to the executioner, I have been condemned on the evidence of one witness only. Let that man, whom I am accused of injuring, be questioned. If he says I am guilty, then indeed I deserve to die. The executioner saying, perhaps he may be innocent, a few minutes' delay can do no harm, took him at once to the house of his wife, and there the poor mutilated wretch with many tears declared the kindness with which he had been treated by the supposed criminal and the wickedness of the woman who had forced him to live with her as her husband. Thereupon the execution was stayed, and the king, having been made acquainted with the whole affair, ordered her to be cut into pieces and given to the dogs. 
and showed much favor and kindness to her husband. I say, therefore, there is nothing so cruel as the heart of a wicked woman. The Rakshas appeared to be satisfied with the story and said, Go on, tell me about Gomini. I continued, therefore, There was formerly in the country of the Dravidas, a young Brahmin of great wealth. Somehow he was not married when a mere boy, as is often the case, and when he grew up he thought to himself, Those who have no wives and those who have bad wives are equally unfortunate. I will not let my friends choose for me, but travel about and look out for myself till I find a girl who may suit me. Having formed this resolution and changed his name, he set out alone, taking very little with him but a small bag containing two or three pounds of rice in the husk. Whenever he saw a maiden of his own caste, whose appearance he liked, either in the houses where he was admitted or elsewhere, he would say to her, My dear, could you make me a good dinner with this rice? This he did many times. But though parents in general would have been willing to give him their daughters, he was always laughed at and often treated with contempt. One day, while sitting in a public place in a town which he had lately entered, he observed a young girl with those parents whose parents had fallen into poverty, which was shown by her scanty dress and slender ornaments. She passed by she passed by him, accompanied by an old woman, and stood for a time very near him. The more he looked at her, the more he was pleased, and thought to himself, This is just the wife to suit me. She is neither too tall, nor too short, nor too stout, or too thin. Her limbs are rounded and well-knit. Her back is straight, with a slight hollow. Her shoulders are low, her arms plump and soft. The lines of her hands indicate good fortune. Her fingers are long and slender. Her nails are like polished gems. Her neck is smooth and rounded as a slender shell. Her bosom full and well-shaped. Her face has a sweet expression. Her lips are full and red. Her chin small and compact. Her cheeks plump. Her eyebrows glossy black, gracefully curved meeting in the middle her eyes are long and languishing very black and very white her forehead adorned by beautiful curls resembles a piece of the moon her ears are delicately formed and well set off by the earrings her hair is glossy black brown at the ends long thick and not too much curled my heart seems to be drawn towards her if she is what she seems to be I will certainly marry her, but I must not act rashly. I will first try her with my test, then approaching her with a polite salutation, he said, My dear, are you clever enough to make a good dinner out of this bag of rice? Without answering a word, she looked significantly at her old nurse, and taking the rice from his hand, signed him to sit down on a terrace close by, and sat down herself near him then first spreading out the rice in in the sun that it might be quite dry she rubbed it again gently between her hands so as to get off the husk unbroken and giving it to the nurse she said take this to some goldsmith they use it when prepared in this way for polishing their gold and you will get a few pence for it with them 
buy a little firewood, a few cheap dishes, and an earthen pipkin, and bring also a wooden mortar with a long pestle. On this errand, the old woman departed, and soon returned, bringing the things required. Then the girl put the rice into the mortar, and very gracefully, moving the pestle up and down, separated the rice thoroughly from the remaining particles of husk and ons, which she carefully winnowed away. After this, she washed the rice thoroughly, and the old woman, having meanwhile lighted a fire, placed a pipkin full of water on it. She threw the rice into the water as soon as it boiled, in such a manner that the grains lay loose and separate. When they began to swell and burst, she took the pot from the fire, which she raked together, and set it with the lid downwards, near the embers, first carefully draining off the rice liquor, and stirring the grains several times with a spoon to prevent their sticking together. After this, she put out the fire by throwing water on it, and, taking the charcoal, sent the old woman to sell it, and, with the money, to procure some herbs, ghee, curds, tamarind fruit, spices, salt, myrobalan, and sesame oil. When these things were brought, she mixed the myrobalan, finely pounded with salt, and desired the nurse to give it with the sesame oil to the young Brahmin, and tell him to go and bathe and anoint himself. And he, having received these things, went to bathe, when he was returned and comfortably seated, when she gave him to drink rice liquor, mixed with spices and cooled by fanning, and he was much refreshed by it. Afterwards, soup made with some of the liquor, a few spoonfuls of rice, butter and spices, and lastly, the rest of the rice mixed with curds, buttermilk and several condiments, and he had plenty, though some was left. When he had finished, he asked for a drink. She gave him water in a new cooler, sweetened and perfumed with lotus and other flowers, and it looked and felt so cool gurgled so pleasantly and tasted so sweet that all his senses were gratified and he drank eagerly again and again. After waiting on him in this manner as soon as the dishes and the remains of the meal had been removed by the old nurse, she sat down beside him, arranging her scanty patched dress as well as she was able. The young Brahmin, having thus satisfied himself of the capabilities of the maiden, made known his real name and position to her parents, and they, having gladly accepted him, he married the girl in due form and took her home to his own house. Not very long afterwards, with a little consideration for her, he took to himself another wife, a woman of bad character, yet such was the sweetness of temper of the first that she showed no anger at this, but continued to treat her husband with all due honor and respect, and so gained over her fellow wife that she became her dearest friend. At the same time, she managed the household admirably, keeping everything in order, yet making all the servants attached to her. In short, she acted in such a manner that she entirely gained the respect and affection of her husband, and he enjoyed great happiness, and trusted and consulted her in all affairs. Therefore I say that the best thing for a householder is to have a good wife. Then, in illustration of the third answer, I related the story of Ratnavati. There was in a town in the country of Surat a rich ship captain who had a daughter named Ratnavati. She was married to Balabhatra, the son of a merchant living in another town. 
for some reason he took a sudden dislike to his bride on the very day of the wedding and though she continued to live in his house avoided her as much as possible and would never speak to her notwithstanding the remonstrances of his friends the rest of the family and servants seeing this treated her with neglect and contempt so that she led a most wretched life one day wandering about disconsolate she met with an old woman about this mendicant who seeing her weeping and looking miserable asked her the reason she thinking that this woman might possibly be possessed of some charm capable of bringing back her husband's affections half unwillingly told her the cause of her grief on the very day of our marriage my husband from some cause or other took a sudden dislike to me and since then he has treated me with neglect and contempt so that i hardly ever see his face and then only by chance for a moment for he avoids me as much as possible his family also following his example behave to me with great unkindness i have no comfort or happiness and only wish for death but you must not tell this to any one i would not on any account have my misfortune talked about the old woman answered surely this must be a punishment for some great sin committed in a former existence or such a charming person as yourself would never be thus treated by your husband i recommend you to practice penance and prayer perhaps the gods may be appeased and a favorable change produced meanwhile if there is any way in which i can help you i will gladly do so you seem very intelligent cannot you think of some stratagem which may have the desired effect after reflecting for some time she said though my husband so neglects me i know that he is very fond of women in general and ready to be captivated by any one especially respectable women who will give him a little encouragement on this propensity i think with your help that something may be done there is a young lady a neighbor the daughter of a very rich man in great favor with the raja she is a friend of mine and is very like me as my husband hardly knows her by sight and scarcely ever sees me it might be possible to pass myself off for her do you therefore go to him and say that the young lady is in love with him and that you will introduce him to her only he must not give him a hint that you have told him anything meanwhile i will arrange with my friend and will be walking in her father's garden some evening when you can bring him in the old woman was delighted with this contrivance and promised to perform her part she went therefore soon afterwards with a pretended message of love from the merchant's daughter to balavatra who was delighted at having attracted the attention of such a charming young lady and took care to be at the appointed time in the garden where he saw his neglected wife playing at ball as if by accident she threw the ball towards him and the old woman said this is an invitation pick up the ball and take it to her with a pretty speech and you will get acquainted with her in this way an intimacy began and he often met his wife in the same place in the evening without in the least suspecting the deception at last she gave him a hint that she was ready to run away with him madly in love he eagerly caught at the proposal and one night having collected what money he could carry he eloped with her saying nothing to any of his friends they were much astonished by his sudden disappearance 
but when they found that Ratnavati was gone also, they readily believed the story told by the old woman, that he had fallen in love with his own wife, but was ashamed to acknowledge this after having so long neglected her, and was therefore gone to live in another place, where he was not known, leaving the story, her relations, and his thought it best to take no steps in the matter, and abstained from making inquiry after him. Meanwhile, Palavatra went to a town at some distance, and there is, and there by his skill and energy, though beginning with a small capital, amassed in a few years a considerable fortune, and was much respected in the place. When Ratnavati lopped under another name, she engaged a woman to accompany her as a servant, and this woman, one day, having committed some fault, was beaten by her master, who scolded her, and told her she was lazy, thievish, and impudent. Smarting under the punishment, she determined to be revenged, and going to the magistrate, told him, This man, who seems to you so respectable as a wicked wretch, who has abandoned his own wife and run away in the night with the daughter of one of his neighbors, with whom he is now living. The magistrate, having heard this, and being very covetous, thought, If this man is convicted, his property will be confiscated, and I shall get a share of it. He therefore began to take proceedings against Valabhadra, who was greatly alarmed, but his wife said to him, Do not be frightened, put a good face on that matter, and say, This is not Kanakavati, the daughter of Nittipati Datta, this is my own lawful wife, the daughter of Grihagupta, who lives at Vallabhi. She was married to me with the proper ceremony, and with the full consent of her parents. This woman's accusation is altogether false. But if you will not believe my assertion, send to Vallabhi, to my wife's father, and hear what they will say, or send to the town where I formerly lived, and make inquiries there. This was done, he was admitted to bail, and a letter was written to the father of Ratnavati, who answered it in person and declared that the lady in question was really his daughter. Thus the matter was settled, but the husband, thinking that the old woman was deceived by the likeness, held to his former belief, and continued to live happily with his wife, without ever discovering the delusion. Therefore I say that love is only imagination. The Rakshas, though appearing to be satisfied with these stories, required me to relate that of Nitambhavati, which I proceeded to do. In a city called Madhura, there dwelt a man called Kalaha Kantaka, of great strength and vigor, ready at any time to take up the quarrel of a friend, famed for deeds of violence, and devoted to pleasures and amusements. One day he saw a picture exhibited by a painter, a new corner, and stopped to look at it. It was the portrait of a lady so beautiful that he fell in love with her at once. Desirous of finding out whom it represented, he praised the picture exceedingly, and having put the artist in good humor, got him to say who the lady was. Her name is, said he, is Nitambhavati. She is the wife of a merchant living at Avanti or Ujjain, and I was so struck by her beauty that I sought and obtained permission to paint her portrait. On hearing this, Kalaha Kantaka, taking another name, went to Ujjain, and there, having disguised himself as a mendicant, got admission to the merchant's house, saw the lady whose beauty exceeded even his expectation, and was confirmed in his wicked purpose. At this time, a guardian or watchman was wanted for the public cemetery, and he applied for and obtained the office. 
with the clothes which he took from the bodies brought to be burnt there. He bribed an old woman to take a message from him. She went to Nitambavati and said, A very handsome young man is much in love with you. Pray, let him see you, if only for once. On receiving this message, the, me the merchant's wife was very indignant and sent the old woman away with angry words. Kalaha Kantaka, however, was not discouraged and said to his messenger, Go again and say to the lady, Do you imagine that a person like me devoted to religious meditation who have passed in so many years of pilgrimages to holy places, would wish to lead you into sin. Far from it. I had heard that you were childless and wishing for children, and I know of means through which your wish may be accomplished, but I thought it right to find you first, whether you were worthy of such service. And now I have ascertained you to be virtuous and true to your husband. I will gladly assist you. With this story, the old cheat went again to the lady, who, believing her to be sincere, gladly accepted the offer. And she went on to say, The reason of your being childless is that a spell has been laid upon your husband, which can be removed only by means which I will indicate to you. You must go at night to a clump of trees in the park, and I will come to you there, and will bring with me a man skilled in incantations. You have only to stand for a moment, putting your foot into his hand while he utters certain charms, then go home and, as if in play, strike your husband on the breast. This will dissolve the spell, and, by the by, you will have children. Anxious to have the spell removed from her husband, Meetambhavati consented to this and went at night to the appointed place, where she found Kalaha Kantaka waiting, and, as the old woman had directed, put her foot into his hand while he knelt before her. No sooner had he got hold of it than he took off her anklet and slipping his hand up her leg, inflicted a slight wound above the knee and ran away. The poor lady, dreadfully frightened, blaming herself and enraged with the old woman who had so cruelly deceived her, got home as well as she could, washed and bound up the cut and kept her bed for several days, having taken off the other anklet, that the loss might not be observed. Meanwhile the rascal took the anklet he had stolen to the husband, saying, I wish to dispose of this. Will you buy it? Recognizing the ornament as having been his wife's, he asked, Where did you get this? The man answered, I will not tell you now, but if you are not satisfied that it is honestly mine, take me before the magistrates, and I will declare then how... I came by it. Upon this, the merchant went to his wife and said, Let me see your anklets. With some confusion and alarm, she answered, I have only one of them, the other being, as I suppose, loosely fastened, dropped off a few days ago. With some confusion and alarm, she answered, I have only one of them, the other being, as I suppose, loosely fastened, dropped off a few days ago, when I was walking in the evening in the garden, and I have not been able to find it. Dissatisfied with this answer, the husband went before the magistrates with the man who had offered the anklet for sale, and he, being their person, said, You know I was appointed not long ago to take care of the public cemetery, and as people come sometimes after dark to steal the clothes or to lay a dead body on a pile prepared for another, and so cheat me of my fees, I have lately kept watch there at night, 
A short time ago, I saw a woman in dark dress dragging away part of a half-burnt body and ran to seize her. In the struggle, her anklet came off and I gave her a slight wound on the leg. But she got away and I could not overtake her. This is how the ornament came into my possession. I leave it to you to say whether I have done wrong or no. Then the magistrates and citizens who were assembled were unanimously of the opinion that the woman was a Sarkini. She was therefore divorced from her husband and condemned to be tied to a stake in the cemetery and left there. In this state she was found by Galaha Kantaka, who cut the cords which fastened her, and falling at her feet and confessed all that he had done, alleging his great love for her as an excuse for her cruel conduct. And now, said he, consent to be my wife, and I will carry you away to my own home in a distant country, where you will not be known. I will do everything in my power to make your life happy and atone for the suffering which I have caused you. For a long time the unhappy lady refused, but at last, overcome by his earnest entreaties, the feeling how unjustly she had been disgraced and ill-treated, she consented to accompany him. Thus, by cunning, he gained his end, which he could not have accomplished by any other means. Therefore, I say, cunning best accomplishes difficult things. Having heard these stories, the Rakshasa was much pleased and offered me his assistance if I should require it. At that moment, several pearls fell close beside us. Looking up to see whence they came, I perceived a Rakshas flying through the air, carrying a woman who was struggling with him. Shall that monster carry off the lady before our eyes? Oh, that I could fly to rescue her! As I exclaimed thus, my new ally, without waiting to be entreated, sprang into the air and calling out, Stop! Stop! Wicked wretch! Attacked and dragged down the other Rakshas. He, in defending himself, when only a short distance from the ground, let the lady fall, and I caught her with outstretched arms in such a manner that, though much shaken and alarmed, she was not seriously injured. I held her for a moment, insensible in my arms, while I gazed at the combatants. Their flight was of short duration, for they attacked each other so furiously that both were killed. Then laying my burden on the soft grass in a shady place and sprinkling her with water, I soon had the happiness of seeing her open her eyes and of recognizing the beloved of my heart, the Princess Kandukavati, who was equally delighted on finding who was her deliverer. When sufficiently recovered, she said to me, on returning home after the ball dance, longing to see you, and sad with the thought that we might never meet again, I was filled with great happiness by the report which Chandrasena brought me of your love. But when I heard that you had been bound and thrown into the sea by my wicked brother, I fell into the deepest despair and wished for death, wandering in this state of mind about the gardens. I was espoused by that wild Rakshas, who, having assumed a human form, first made love to me, and then, when rejected, forcibly carried me off. He is happily now dead, and all that I have suffered is as nothing now that I am with you. Let us return as soon as possible to my parents, who will have been greatly distressed at my disappearance. Without delay, I carried her down to the shore, 
embarked, set sail at once, and the wind being favourable, we soon reached Damalipta. Here we found great confusion and grief among the people, and were told on inquiring that the king and queen, utterly broken down by the loss of their son and daughter, have determined to abandon life, and have just set out for a holy place on the bank of the Ganga, with the intention of fasting to death there and several of the old citizens have accompanied them with the same purpose. On hearing this, I immediately went after them, and having soon overtaken them, I was able to give them great happiness by telling them all that had occurred, and how both their son and daughter were safely returned, and they went back with me to the city, to the great joy of the people. The king treated me with great honor, and not long afterwards the princess became my wife. Her brother was reconciled to me, and at my request, though very reluctantly, gave up all further attention to Chandrasena, who was happily united with her lover. When King Sinhavarma was attacked, as you know, I marched with an army to his assistance, and have thus the great pleasure of meeting with you. The prince, having heard the story, said, Your adventures have indeed been strange, and your escape from death wonderful. Great is the power of fate but excellent also is courage and presence of mind, such as you have shown. Then turning to Mantragupta, he desired him to relate his adventures, which he immediately began to do. End of chapter 10